0: Listeners, thank you for tuning in. I'm Gabby Conforti, a current Stanford senior, and hosting alongside me today is Siobhan Logan, an alumna from the class of 2019. We have the incredible honor of being joined today by a distinguished guest who was involved in Bahrain's forgotten revolution of 2011. Like countries such as Egypt, Tunisia, and Syria, Bahrain experienced political upheaval and protests as the sentiments of the Arab Spring swept the region in 2011. However, unlike many of its Arab peers, Bahrain's revolution was widely ignored and suppressed, so much so that many of our listeners today may not know it ever happened. Bahrain is a small island nation in the Persian Gulf with a Sunni Muslim monarchy leading a Shia-majority country. Protests against the government began in Bahrain on February 14, 2011, and were met with immediate force by the Bahraini regime. Bahraini police continued violent crackdowns on protests as tension mounted, with the government eventually declaring martial law and recruiting the support of Saudi and Emirati forces to violently quell demonstrations. Although King Hamid bin Isa al-Khalifa and Crown Prince and current Prime Minister Salman bin Haman al-Khalifa eventually made concessions calling for talks and reforms, efforts at negotiations between the government and opposition groups were unsuccessful. And international organizations such as Human Rights Watch have noted that there has been no progress on reform efforts. The country has drawn international criticism as opposition leaders have faced imprisonment, torture, revocation of citizenship, and even execution.
1: Joining us today to discuss the events of 2011 on the on or rather after the 11th anniversary of the uprisings is a Bahraini activist. We're honored to introduce um, Dr. Saeed al-Shahabi, um, who is a Bahraini pro-democratic leader. He was sentenced to life imprisonment in absentia by Bahraini authorities, and his Bahraini citizenship was revoked in 2012 for leading the pro-democratic movement. Dr. Shahabi was granted refugee status by the UK government in 1985 following his exile from Bahrain and has since lived in the United Kingdom. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Shahabi. Um, We're very excited to have you and we're very glad to be meeting you again. Um, Gabby and I have both had the pleasure of being introduced to Dr. Saeed or Dr. Shahabi um, before. before being able to record this podcast. um, We would also really like to thank um, the Stanford Human Rights Center for allowing us this opportunity to speak with doctor al-Shahabi and for giving us this platform. Um, doctor al-Shahabi, we would love to start um, with you just giving us perhaps a a brief rundown on on the political and social landscape of Bahrain prior to to 2011, um, and then your involvement prior to 2011. I'm in Bahraini politics.
2: Thank you very much for this kind introduction uh, and this kind welcome, of course. Uh, Bahrain is a small uh, island in the middle of the Gulf, and it is in the Gulf between uh, Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Uh, It has very little oil on the mainland. It is producing about 60,000 barrels per day from the main inland well and uh, field, oil field, which is called the, uh, the, the Bahrain field. And then it shares with Saudi Arabia uh, another big uh, oil field which is called Abu Safa, And for the past 60 years or so, the, the two countries have split the uh, the the production of the of that field, the Abu Sa'afa oil field, and it is roughly uh, producing about 300,000 per day, so 60 would go to Bahrain and 60 would go to Saudi Arabia. Uh, so, so this is the main income to Bahrain, however Bahrain also has a, a large refinery, and also it is a service uh, point between the east and the west. Uh, it used to be a hub for the uh, large uh, over, uh, the large whole aircraft going from Europe, from America to the, to the Southeast. Uh, now, it's less important after Dubai had emerged. Uh, Bahrain, uh, the natives of Bahrain uh, originally were uh, Shia Muslims uh, until the Khalifa came. Uh, now, uh, the percentage is about 30% Sunni Muslims. and. Shia Muslims. However, they have lived together. They have have intermarriages and they share political stance political platforms, political concerns, uh, political parties until today. Despite all the efforts to introduce sectarianism and to use it as a weapon, still the people are uh, more politicized, more ideologized in the sense that what matters to them is political reform, is uh, the establishment of modern statehood, modern statehood. Now, uh, prior to 2011, uh, 50 years ago, the British, until 50 years ago, the British were ruling Bahrain, and in 1971, they withdrew. And we were hoping, at the time, that we would be able to establish a new constitution leading to a modern state, and we had a, a, brief, uh, a, a brief experience with democratic uh, performance of uh, practice between 1972 and 75 to about two and a half years in which the uh, a constitution was drafted and a national assembly was elected. But it was uh, brought to an end in August, 1975. And since then Bahrain went into the dark era Until 2000, and in the mid 90s, we had a big uprising. And in the year 2000, there was a lull, and the political prisoners were released. uh, And there was some election and talks uh, about political reforms. But uh, under the present ruler, Sheikh Ahmed, who came to power following the demise of his father, Sheikh Isa bin Salman al Khalifa, in March 1999. So uh, the past 20 years or so, we have been under the rule of uh, Sheikh Hamad. Now his uh, son, the uh, Crown Prince, has become Prime Minister. So all the main uh, positions, political senior positions, are in the hands of the Khalifa clan. Uh, then we had the uh, Arab Spring in 2011, and then the people of Bahrain joined in that uh, event.
1: And Dr. Shahabi, could you tell us a little bit about your personal involvement in this sort of so-called forgotten revolution um, as part of the Arab Spring?
2: Well, I was involved in, uh, in politics, uh, in domestic politics, for a long time. The first time I went to protest was in 1965. At the time, it was against uh, British colonialism. Uh, and uh, then I was only 11 years of age at that time. And, of course, I just followed the others. I was not a leader, or I, had, I was not significant, but I was just a student who was uh, joining the, uh, the mob. So I was with the mob there. Uh, and we were hit with, the, uh, with, the, with tear gas and other uh, chemical canisters uh, and so on. And gradually, I became older, and then I came to UK in 1971 to study. And from then on, I tried to uh, follow what was going on. And in the 80s, there was major crackdown from 79 and onwards. And there were many arrests. Ma- my friends were arrested. And from the uh, early 80s, I started to become politically active openly, not secretly. So uh, we started publishing in 1983, uh, something our newsletter called Voice of Bahrain. In Arabic and English, and it has been going on since then. And we were just trying to uh, to to highlight the situation in the country. And our aim gradually was evolving. At that time, at the beginning, our aim was to reinstate the 1973 constitution that I mentioned, which was uh, which which was uh, suspended in 1975, and that was our aim throughout the uprising of the 90s to 94 and 2000. And then uh, we were promised that it would be reinstated by, by Sheikh Hamad, by the present ruler. However, when things uh, and political strife subsided in 2001, 2002, uh, the constitution was abrogated in February, 14th February. So this is why... We call it 14th February Revolution in 2011. But in 2001, we had what was called the National Charter following the release of prisoners. In 2002, we are talking about 14th February. In each year, we had the Constitution abrogated and a new Constitution imposed. And since then, we we entered another phase of struggle. I was involved in, uh, outside the country, but I was in touch with my colleagues inside who are now, almost all of them are in jail. Mr. Hassan Mushama, Mr. Abdul Wahab Hassan, Dr. Abdul Jalil Al-Singhet, these are all my colleagues and we are involved in the same uh, political struggle. So that was my involvement. When the people of the Arab region went to revolutions in 2011 the Arab Spring, I was a, uh, one of the people who went to the streets. In support of the of Tunisia at the beginning, in, in support of uh, the people of Egypt, of Yemen, of Syria, and so. on. <clears throat> so when our when our people in Bahrain decided to go, and they declared that we will go outside to protest on the 14th of February to mark 10 years of the uh, Charter and nine years of the new constitution, to abrogate uh, we were against it. All. So uh, I was involved as a spokesman, as, uh, in media, uh, in protests, in pickets, uh, in demonstrations, in conferences, in seminars, at the House of Lords, at the House of Commons, uh, with other human rights bodies. So that was my involvement uh, until recently.
1: And I'm curious whether um, there was much other Bahraini diaspora involvement um, in the movement since you and many others were not able to return to the country to actually participate in the streets?
2: Uh, Of course, there are people in the diaspora. We probably, uh, the oldest one who became uh, a refugee or who decided to stay outside was Dr. Abdul Hadi Khalaf, who was a member of parliament in 1973, and following the abrogation, uh, and the, the dissolution of the parliament in 1975, he was arrested with his uh, colleagues. They are from the leftist tendency, uh, communist, nationalist, uh, Arab nationalist, and others. And he went to Sweden and he stayed there ever since. He still there, but he's an elderly person. He's a respectable figure, and he has been writing, tweeting, uh, appearing in media similar to what I am doing, However, he was uh, or he is older than me, so his movement is a bit limited at the moment. But he is still there and alert, and, and there are many others. There are in the 90s, and uh, there were many people who sought refuge refu- uh, refuge outside. Uh, and of course, after 2011, more people came to UK, to Germany, to Holland, uh, to uh, uh, Ireland and even in America, there are quite a few, few people, not many. Bahrain is a small country. So, when we talk about diaspora, we are not talking about thousands upon thousands. We are talking about few hundreds. Perhaps in the UK, there are only four or five hundred people, and uh, tens of people in other places.
0: So, I'm very curious to know more about what you think uh, about the revolution and in general Bahraini politics as it's portrayed in Western media, because it's often shown as being, you know, ancient Shia-Sunni sectarian violence. Um, In your opinion, how did sectarian dynamics change in the period leading up to the February 14th, 2011 uprising? And then throughout? that time? And how do you think sectarian dynamics influenced the uprising
2: itself? Well, there are always communities in every society. I'm sure in America you have Catholics, you have Anglicans, and here you have the same, you can, you can put the fuel on the, on the fire, it will ignite. And you can, if you are uh, alert, you can avoid this uh, state. The same thing in Bahrain. We have Shia and Sunnis. This is natural composition of the country. No problem at all. We have co- coexisted together. We have lived together. We are intermarriages. However, at uh, critical stages, critical moments, the regime would resort to stereality and would appear to be siding with the Sunnis. Uh, but are the Sunnis get, uh, given their rights? No, I don't think so. It is the ruling family which is number one. The ruling family. Uh, which the, uh, and dictatorship doesn't have a religion, doesn't have a sect, uh, it doesn't have a nationality. You have a dictator who is black, a dictator who is white, a dictator who is Shia, or who is, who is Sunni, or uh, co- uh, communist, who is liberal. So you can have dictatorship in any form or shape. In Bahrain, they tried to use it. Uh, in the 90s, we were together. Uh, the, the Shia and Sunni, what, what happened in 1994 was that uh, the, the, the elite of both Shia and Sunnis came together and signed a petition uh, that was handed to the ruler, the father of this uh, uh, ruler now. And he did not accept it. Uh, so then uh, there was, they arrested some members, and then the whole thing uh, flared out in, in December 94. So the, the roots, were not sectarian; were uh, were na- were national national groups, both Shia's and Sunni together, and they continued. And the regime used this, uh, the Shia-Sunni but it didn't really materialize so much. Uh, but at that t- at that time, those uh, elements were uh, were revolutionary, so uh, so and they were alert. They were. Uh, aware of the situation and the, uh, and the various methods of the regimes. So they were not tra- uh, trapped in that sectarian uh, uh, hole. They managed to come out of it. This time, uh, they were also part of it, uh, in the fair square, fair roundabout when they met, when uh, the people congregated in uh, the first week uh, or first month of uh, the revolution. Between mid uh, February and mid March 2011, it was both Shia and Sunnis. And then subsequently, the Sunnis withdrew because a lot of sectarian, uh, sectarian media was uh, pumped into the society. But there were still those people who rose above sectarianism and they were eventually arrested. So Ibrahim Sharif, who is until now at the forefront of events, is a Sunni liberal. And there are others who were also, not many, but there were some elements who were arrested. The regime tries not to uh, uh, infuriate the Sunnis. He wants to keep them aside. Whatever they do, keep quiet, uh, leave them alone, uh, will not touch them. Because if they they touch them, then they will join the mainstream movement and that will become more problematic to the regime. So yes, there are Shiites and Sunni. Yes, sometimes there are friction. Generally, they are uh, they have the same demands. I do not think uh, a genuine uh, honorable Sunni would like to be ruled forever uh, by dictators. I think they are just Sunnis and Shiites, Christians, Muslims, Jews. They have the same blood, the same aspirations. They don't want to be ruled by dictators.
1: It's so interesting because I find that, um, and this is something Gabby and I've talked about a lot among us, um, as both really interested in Middle Eastern studies, of course, not experts such as you, um, but in the West, a lot of um, media sources sort of portray conflicts in the Middle East as sort of deeply entrenched religious wars, whether that be Israel-Palestine or sort of tensions between Iran and Saudi that we see really affecting the rest of the region. And so It's really interesting to us to hear that perspective from you. Um, I'm also wondering what, um, apart from sort of wanting to bring back um, the earlier implemented constitution at some points, what were the key reforms that you would say that protesters really sought in the 2011 um, attempted revolution? And and again, you said some about how the government responded. And I know that in our introduction, we were able to touch a little bit on this, but I would love to go a little deeper into how the government response um, was at first and then how it was nuanced um, later on.
2: Well, we have an accumulative experience. Now I can go with you to a trip once and twice, and then I see how honest you are, or you see me how honest I am. But every time where we go together, see that I'm cheating you, I'm taking your money, or I'm just uh, doing things that are not right, eventually you'll give up. We have been, I personally, has been exposed to these experiences. I was involved in 1971 when the British were withdrawing, and we were uh, uh, asked and urged to to vote for independent Bahrain, ruled by the Khalifa family, in exchange uh, that they will share power with the people. This is why we went and we were enthusiastic about drafting the constitution, which we did. But then, so, so we were promised a democratic transformation after the British withdrew from Bahrain in 1971. And we had that experience, but only for two and a half years. And then the, the constitution was abrogated until now. With the, the, the constitution we have is not the one that we drafted collectively, us and them, us the people and them the ruling family. So th- that was a th- the first time in my generation when we were con, when uh, the the when, when the ruler did not honor his commitment and his promises. So this is number one. Then in the nineties we had we had the we had the, uh, the, the uprising. And then in 2000, after the demise of that old uh, ruler, his son came and he promised. I met him myself twice. And he promised that the 1973 Constitution would be the ultimate reference. That would be reinstated. Within a year, he just abrogated it and uh, just imposed another one, replaced it with his own tailor-made constitution. So this is twice. This is the second time that they have staged a coup against us. And then we went to the uh, revolution. And then, as you mentioned in your introduction, there was some dialogue at the beginning of 2011, 2012, a few months after the beginning of the revolution. And he said, yes, we will go, we want we dialogue. Of course we will, uh, we, we agree and we accept dialogue. And then the dialogue was reduced to meetings between the Al-Wafah society and some uh, loyalist groups, not with the ruling family. None of the ruling family members was present at the, at the, uh, at the dialogue. And he wanted, the regime wanted to show that when we have a problem with the Shia and the Sunni, we are bringing them to the same table. We had no problem. <laughs> it is The problem is with you, the ruler, with your, lieutenants, with your ministers, with your secret service, not with the person who uh, uh, as oppressed as me. So it, uh, it didn't work out. It just uh, came to nothing, that dialogue. Now, how many times do we want to be conned in this way? Now, let me say the following. Number one, we do not want to be uh, cheated every time. So we have, I saw myself open cheating three times. This is number one. Number two, I do not believe a human rights can be protected by dictators. I do not think any dictator in the world can protect human rights. So it is a lie When we say we want to improve the human rights of Saudi Arabia, we are only trying to deceive the people and to hypnotize them. You cannot have dictators who mutilate bodies. Suddenly, after a few months, after a few years, they become angels and love human rights. So this is number two. Uh, n- number three, the uh, ruler himself, who has uh, been dependent on the, on the outside for all his life, he has no trust in the people. How? Number one. He, for the past 20 years, the regime has been trying to naturalize, to, to naturalize uh Bahrain, bring them from outside. To change, to tip the balance, uh, the population balance.
1: And where are okay. these naturalized folks coming from? After?
2: From everywhere. He doesn't look. The regime of Bahrain, the government at the moment, does not want to bring uh, to make the Sunnis majority. At the moment, they are minority. We say thirty percent. She has seventy percent. But in my personal opinion, he doesn't want the Sunnis to become. Sixty percent, and the Shi'as forty, for example, or twenty-five. But he doesn't want the Sunnis. he doesn't want any group to be in the majority. He wants a small cantons here. Uh, some Hindus will be small Christians, few, few Jews. Uh, some Sunnis. The Shi'as will try to take them away of the, from the country by withdrawing their citizenship and so on. So he's trying. Uh, he is trying to change the balance of the people, but he does not want, he doesn't, he, he doesn't have faith in the Sunni. like any other regime. Now, the regime, the Sisi in Egypt, doesn't want, Egypt is mostly Sunni, Sunni but he doesn't want, uh, he doesn't have faith in the people. None of the dictators has faith in the people or in the religion or in the sect or even in the political party that he or she belongs to. They believe in themselves. Is only us; the rest are not. So, hmm. for these reasons, can can we see, Have we ever seen a democrat turning into a, uh, a dictator turning into a democrat in your life? Do you expect? Do you think a a, a a dictator can become a democrat? I do not believe that a dictator can transform into a democrat at all. A dictator is a dictator by HR, By by upbringing, by uh, taste, by whatever. So, we, I don't want to con my people and say, look, we are working to reform the system. The system of dictators that is not reformable. I have spent 50 years or more than 60 years now of my life and got, got nothing. Where is the reform? The reform is when people are uh, set, some of the people in jail have been jailed for almost 20 years now, uh, intermittently. Uh, so if you ask me, I'm sure there are people in the opposition who say, let us get what we can and ask for some reforms. The regime is not going to do it today. We want a new constitution. Fine, if, if, they, if, he allow, if he agrees to rewrite a new constitution, draft a new constitution collectively, okay, us and them. Representative of the people, representative of the ruling. That's number one. If if uh, I okay, I will accept that. Although I do not believe it will, I do not believe it will ever go back to asking the people to be shareholders in the, uh, the in the business of government. It isn't, it just It is me, me, us. The Khalifa, are ruling. I get. This, I am giving the Americans the. Um, uh, the, 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 the uh, Marine base there. So their, aircraft uh, aircraft carriers come and go. I built another base to, for the British. Okay. In 2014 with the people's money. Now I have also 30,000 Pakistani soldiers supporting me. I have the causeway between me and Saudi Arabia. And when I needed them in 2011, they came within hours. Uh, their soldiers and they crushed the revolution. So why should I listen to Saeed and his uh, faults? Why why on earth shall I give an inch of my authority? They know if they give an inch, that is not the end of the matter because the dynamics of politics does not let things crawl as they are. So uh, so eventually, uh, you will see their authority diminishing gradually. So this is why they are not going, they are simply not going to reform, they are not going to respect the human rights, they are not going to recognize the, na- the native Bahrainis, Shia or Suleen, and instead they will try to uh, bring the people from everywhere and just grab citizenship with a whim of a pen. My nationality was, uh, I was the first name on the first group in 2012, uh, the first group of 31 people whose nationality was revoked, just, he just decided, yeah. I give you life, I can take life from I give you the, your passport to citizenship, I can take from you. Is this well, where, where is the rule of law?
0: Right. I'm really interested in following up a little bit on your initial comments about the dialogue that happened that you said was quickly then reduced to only a few participating um, entities. Um, but we were wondering more generally what the political landscape looked and looks like now, and noted that two of the most popular opposition parties, al and Wad, were forcibly disbanded or banned in 2016 and 2017, respectively. And you had said in your comments just now that uh, Al-Wafak, I believe, uh, did initially participate in dialogue, but that didn't go out go very well. So I think we're curious to know, and our listeners would also find it helpful to learn about why these parties were banned so long after the uprising, five and six years. And looking at the political landscape today, has any domestic opposition filled the vacuum left by the absence of these two political parties?
2: Well, the regime at the beginning, Thought so that it would be able to to bring down the whole thing within two years, a year, two years, three years. Dialogue. It was just borrow time, okay. Uh, try to uh, to either to uh, woo them, attract them, or uh, uh, threaten them. So th- it was th- There were threatening episodes throughout, hoping that. These threats would convince the Al-Wuphah to come back and just subside. They, we shouldn't forget that al was had participated in the election and they had the largest number of seats, the largest party. However, they were not respected. or were not given any right. They didn't have any power. And this is why they say that when they left the, the parliament, uh, they said that we were nothing. We were just uh, horns. Uh, we well, not really representative of people or being able to express our uh, position. So why did they leave them a few years, three, four years? I think they thought they would uh, be able to stop the uprising and then they would bargain with al and with this, but they saw that the leading figures in both parties were siding with the people. They have chosen their destiny, and they said, we are not going back to the quo prior to the revolution. And that the regime does not, did not like. The various statements, the press conferences, the communication with the outside world. There were some uh, delegations to UK meeting with the foreign office, to America. With the, so that they didn't like it. They simply didn't like it. They think maybe at some stage, the, those uh, powers may help them uh, stage a coup or bring the, uh, replace the regime. So eventually, they think that if we hit them, we cut the, the heads, then they will not be able to breathe again. Um, so now, who is leading the opposition today? I think there, are, there is a self-propelling effect in the, in the society. There are many martyrs, so their fathers uh, and families are distraught. They are uh, broken and sad, and so on. And they are determined to seek justice for the for their for the murder of their sons. There are the thousands of people who are in jail, uh, and these people cannot be just. They cannot ignore, cannot uh, forget what happened to them. There are the. To, <clears throat> the victims of torture were abused severely over years. These are not going away. This is why today in the street of Bahrain, if you go tonight, if you are there, you will see lines upon lines of people, families, fathers, sisters, relatives of the political prisoners, lining the streets, calling for the release of their loved ones. Uh, so it is there. There is the dynamic, internal dynamics of the society that has been building over the decades. And the faith, the trust has just totally disappeared between the two sides. People do not believe and do not trust the Khalifa. The Khalifa do not have faith in Al Wufak because they said, look, in 2011, when the people went to the streets, we thought that you, you would be with us, you were members of the parliament. But then you defected to them. You left the parliament and went to Pearl Square, Pearl Roundabout, and that's not acceptable. So that is a punishment for them, and you will never trust them again. He will, not trust, he will never trust uh, serious opposition figures from Waad, from al wafa from anyone else, Shia, Sunni. Uh, so this is what is going now. There are people with their own dynamics going to the streets every day, and uh, inside and outside the country, there are the people in jail. Who the in jail is a source of uh, a source of anger, and there are the martyrs, and there are those who have lost their houses, their jobs, uh, and their sons who are in exile now. How many people are in, in exile? How many families they left behind? So. All in all, uh, there is no love lost between the two sides and the state's score is likely to continue for some time.
1: And I'm curious um, if, I mean, I think that from what everything you've said, we probably know the answer to this already, but um, we, there are, we would like to highlight that there are um, elections for the Bahraini Council of Representatives coming up in November 22, um, do you expect any, any results from these elections? Have you seen any results from any um, elections in recent years?
2: Well, nothing has changed in terms of politics, in terms of laws, in terms of constitutional articles. So why should I expect anything to come out of it? Nothing is there. But I think there will be a lot of efforts by Washington and London to, to convince some members of Al-Wafaq, or uh, those people, uh, some who are low-ranking, to come forward and to participate. Will, will it be a strong uh, parliament? Impossible. Will people listen to them or appreciate? Nothing. Maybe people, will, some people will go and vote. But they believe that this political process is devoid of legitimacy, devoid of... Uh, of uh, constitu- constitutional, uh, uh, constitutional, what constitutional? Um, again, constitutional? What? Tell me, constitutional legitimacy? Let's say again. Um, so, at the end, it is just another election over since, that have that we have had since 2002, uh, probably uh, before that, but to, just say in the past 20 years. And none of them has, has silenced the people. Yes, you have elections. There are elections. You have new parliament. They hold their session, but the people go out in the street, uh, and eventually, some people from within will talk about support of the people, and he will be uh, he will be attacked by the regime, and something else will happen. So there are many things that could happen. But is it is the election going to stop? the feelings of the people or to end the strife? No. The strife is there. And uh, unless uh, those supporters of the regime think seriously and take serious action to tame the excesses of, the, of this ruling family, uh, the situation in the region will continue to remain unstable uh, because of the policies of these dictators.
0: So, Um, It sounds sounds like not much can be expected from these upcoming November elections. Um, For our last question, we'd like to pivot to looking a bit larger in scope and get your opinion on what you might think could change in the next five or 10 years for politics in Bahrain. Um, And specifically, do you see much hope for the future of democracy And improvements in the human rights situation in the country over this time period?
2: I believe that the status quo will continue for the next, at least for the next three to five years. The people will remain in jail, Uh, more people will be added to them. There will be some pressure from the allies of the regime to release some prisoners. Uh, but uh, it knows that if it releases many of them, all of them, then they will go back to square one, and then the whole thing will reignite again. So the situation will remain volatile. The mistrust will continue to prevail. The regional politics will play a part. What is going to happen in uh, <coughs> sorry in uh, in Ukraine, and what is uh, the East-West relation? Uh, go, how uh, how they are going to have uh, to be will also reflect itself on the regional politics of the Gulf. The oil uh, we know now the oil has become a very important commodity. We know that MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, and Mohammed bin Zayed, the two most vicious dictators in in that region, will play politics with America uh, in return for increasing the oil uh, production to Compensate for the reduction in the uh, Russian uh, sources Uh, that may put some pressure on uh, Mr. Biden and on America. Unfortunately, uh, America can make a a difference. Uh, It is a superpower. It can get any oil stones from anywhere. I I don't think that's the big obstacle. But it doesn't. It simply does not have the will, the will to democratize the world. They say during the Cold War, democratization and the human rights were the two pillars of the foreign policy of, the, of NATO and the West. Mm-hmm. But once the Soviet Union uh, fragmented 30 years ago, they gave up, it's not our business to change the political system of the world. And this is why we have had an unstable world with terrorism, with Al-Qaeda, with ISIS, I think these are all reactions to bad situations in the Arab world, in the Middle East. And if America is serious about combating these illnesses, they should start by democratizing the region. And I do not think, there may be some decisions that America doesn't like from these democracies, from evolving democracies. But at the end, the net results, the balance of things, uh, Will be in the fa- in favor in the favor in favor of peace, stability, fraternal relations, uh, less human tragedies as we have been seeing. Uh, and now the problem between America and Russia is that they accuse Russia of uh, dictatorship. So the same dictators. When uh, if you are against Russian attack on Ukraine, why aren't you against the Saudi, Emirati incursion into Bahrain? or war on Yemen. What is the difference? Uh, unless the rule of law, the international law, is is respected and upheld, all sorts of uh, calamities will befall on all of us. We are we, we are shareholders in this world, in this planet. We can't leave aside these colors and these religions, religious affiliations sectarian uh, belonging. These are all uh, ideological tendencies. These are beside the point. At the end of the day, what you two girls want is what I want. What you need is what I need. We, we share the same planet. We share the same needs. We share the same uh, the same pains, the same pains. What what uh, makes you sad makes me sad also. Uh, we are all, we, we are this, we are essentially intrinsically the same. So how are you allowed? to enjoy democracy and self-respect, self-realization self and I am denied that, why? Uh, so let us work towards uh, more American uh, proactive involvement in, in democratization and in human rights and not to confine its interest in lip service uh, strategy. Mm-hmm.
1: Dr. Shahabi, that really wraps up all of our questions. We're incredibly grateful. We know we've taken up a lot of your time. Um, We would be remiss if we didn't thank um, the um, Center for Human Rights and International Justice at Stanford um, for allowing us to host this podcast. Um, And we're really incredibly grateful um, to Dr. Shahabi himself, and also to the European Center for Democracy and Human Rights um, with which Dr. Shahabi is affiliated and who facilitated the introduction Um, between us and Dr. Shehabi. We are very, very grateful for your time and for your energy that you've put into this. And we're hopeful for the future of human rights in Bahrain and really grateful for your time.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Siobhan. Thank you very much, Abby. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I hope that I have contributed a little bit to your knowledge. uh, More than a little bit. (laughs)
0: Definitely. Definitely. It's pleasure
2: talking to you. Enjoy the day, enjoy the evening. Enjoy oh, the day, day in your country, but uh, here uh, it is becoming dark. So let us meet at Better notes and we'll, we'll be happy, all of us, all the time. We us pray for, to God to grant us His mercy and His peace.
0: Thank you very much.